This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. All right, y'all. Here we go. I'm testing, here with, testing. This is good. Good. We're good. Cool. I'm here with my friend, my longtime friend, but more in a passing, in passing with, I think, a much intrigue about each other. And sure enough, I even messaged uh, three of our mutual friends before this, known as the Mystic Misfits, <laughs> and told them I'm interviewing you and ask a, you have a question, and they ask a few. So that's going to be mixed in here. And be, who I'm with is Paul Cooper. I think we originally met in uh, San Diego at the men's conference that Mike Herstowski was putting on about six years ago. I don't even know. Almost, Is that right? almost six, yeah. Wowzers. It was wild. Man. And um, what I remember from you at that conference is definitely asking, like, I remember you asked some mind-bending questions. That's what I was like, oh, this guy's like, he's, this guy's thinking, like, you, I remember. You, I almost felt like, oh, Mike, or whoever was on stage was on the spot because <laughs> the question you asked, and I and I I uh, respect that. I don't remember what the question Me was, there, but, that's but I had this I had the same impression of you actually. Wow, because you got you were like you were going with like oh yeah, that's funny with man. like pointed questions, and I remember you also. There was one point where you were like, you would express some kind of reservation about asking the direct questions that came to your mind because you didn't want to like offend people or put people off. But I forgot what question I asked. Well, that's fun that we kind of enjoyed each other for the same, uh, in the same way. So so that's basically the intention of this podcast and many of the podcasts that I do is to get to know my guest publicly, which is awesome for a connection and in a unique context, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then it also seems to add so much value to so many valuable people's lives. So I'm excited to do this with you. Likewise. <laughs> and um, we're—I definitely want to mix in the Mystic Misfits questions and the game on the Breaking Normal app, which is still being tested on iPhones only right now. I think the Androids, like, it's—I trust it's coming before Christmas. Nice. So, um, would you like to play the game for a few minutes, or would you like to answer Jordan's and Kevin's and Ryan's questions? By the way, those are great podcasts. Jordan's one of the only people that I've interviewed twice. Thanks. Um, I don't have a preference, but I think the questions will probably end up rolling a little longer. So, if we want to, all right, dive let's into play the, the game. First. I like that. Here we go. All right, so this is the game on the Breaking Normal app. Ask life's biggest questions in a way could be interpreted that, uh, and gives the user thirty seconds to answer it with either speaking it, singing it, um, embodying it, or um, like there's a few other fun options that get mixed in every once in a while. And I think it's really powerful. I think it's something that it trains for me. It trains me to communicate more from my gut and heart. And uh, yeah, nice. and in a quick in a quick way, and that it's like very revealing a lot of times and fun. So I'm gonna play this with Paul for a few moments, and definitely give this a go if you're on your first date, your or your hundredth, or if it, with a group of people. I've done this at one of our events, one of our tribe designs, and I'm so excited to oh, see. Nice. Uh, I did this as the opening ceremony once, like 40 something people in Maui, and it worked so well. Oh, nice! And I was like, wow. This, that was like we were talking about the roller coaster of creating this app that was definitely one of the peak moments nice um, and I'm excited to talk about tribe design with you yeah yeah and making anti-fragile tribes potentially or aiming for that 
Yeah. All right, but before we do, let's see what the let's see what this avatar, this breaking normal avatar, has to ask us. Daniel, what place does religion have in your life? Embody it. Okay, so since we're doing the podcast, I'll speak it. Um, sure. Man, it, oh, I think it's like a great model and a menu, like a great model menu and a blueprint for understanding the non-understandable potentially or the the unspeakable or the ineffable or the divine it shows way it's like different religions or different blueprints to get to the core of that connection with the creator hmm. Paul, what's the one moment that has had the biggest impact on your life spiritually embody it i'm gonna speak it as well um the moment that had the biggest impact on my life spiritually was when I was almost nine. My uh, my whole family, with the exception of myself, got in a really bad car accident, and that was in it was in Africa and Rwanda. I got to the scene of the car accident right afterwards and experienced what I now consider my first awakening because it was so intense. If you had to take a cross-country road trip with one person in this group, who would it be and why? Well, since, well, I guess it could be Araya, but I've taken many cross-country road trips with her, and I would definitely be, it would be my friend Paul here. And, um, and, oh, and why? Okay, and why? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> well, other than not being many options, I think he would still be a choice because I think there's a, such a deep intrigue and a potential alignment that I think um, a cross-country road trip conversation could reveal. I like it. Paul, what is your most memorable travel experience? Embody it. Oh my goodness. My most mis- uh, memorable travel experience. Um, it's really hard to pick one out because I traveled most of my early life. Like I traveled all the way around the globe twice before I was eight years old. Um, but I'd say the most memorable was right after leaving my mom's basement. I got a ride with this guy, Blake, across the country um, when I was hitchhiking. And he he blew my mind because he came from... Anyway. <laughs> Describes your personality. Sing it. Oh, my personality is... It is dynamic. It is so simple. It is so deep. It is so fast. It is fast, 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 slow, slow, slow. It's very present. It's very, very present. I'm very present, very aware. I'm talking. I would say my level of awareness is unique and it's distracting to me and it's empowering to me. Paul, what did you want to be when you were younger? Sing it. When I was a young warthog. <laughs> um, I wanted to be a race car driver when I was a kid. Um, I was super into the idea of just going super fast. <laughs> a lot of us young boys can relate. When did you feel the best today? Embody it. When did I feel the best today? I would say it's a t- it's like a, a nice DNA competition between now and 
uh, waking up with my daughter and like having a good her waking up so enthusiastic like she woke up and just started jumping on the bed and it was like just so ready to do things and like that could that that ability for me to empathize with that energy and to be supported by her was is magical nice What happens after death? Sing it. Hmm. I'm not going to sing it, but in uh, the only way that I would know, have any way to like know from experience about like what might happen after death was related to one near-death experience I had where I left my body. Um, I was overdosing on drugs and like my body was dying. So I left my body and then had a conversation with a being that was letting me know that if I chose to leave this body, then I would have to just be born again and like have to find new parents and <laughs> to continue on that one. Or we'll do one more each. The quality that I admire most in others is probably someone that I feel like can challenge me in a loving or a funny, or a way that feels good, and a way that feels from good intent. Um, someone that makes me, inspires me to be better, is what I admire. All right, one more, Paul. Paul, what are three things that you love? Sing it. Three things. The first place my mind go, goes with that question is, do I exclude people from it? Um, so, cause it says things, um, so three things that I love. I love my furry coat. (laughs) 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 I love, hmm, we'll have to post a, a note on that one. play that game with me to find out thanks for playing with me paul yeah man good game <laughs> yeah yeah it is it, it really expedites something special mm-hmm. for me i like it and then the uh the other part the weekly challenge that's a whole nother level but i'm i'll go explore that if you feel a call to start with the game and thanks for exploring it with me let's talk about right off the bat that uh near-death experience where you left your body and you talked to and you've express something with an entity about something can we expound upon that one for a moment yeah that was um in my early 20s maybe um maybe late teens even but um it was kind of like it was a little ways into my foray into drug land um and i i overdosed on it significant amount of of drugs in my and my body was just like my heart was going faster and faster and faster and I was like I, I had a sense that it was going to go past like a certain limit and I wasn't like going to make it and so then I was like trying to cool cool down and it was I stripped down to like just my underwear and opened all the windows it was like 40 degrees outside so the house got really cold and I was still sitting there just pouring pouring sweat and then I just my presence left my body and I found myself like in a tunnel where I could see like what people call the light at the end of the tunnel was like up to one end and then my body was down here and there was this being there and he was like kind of helping me understand the decision that I had in front of me and it was um, essentially 
that there was no right or wrong if I stayed or go or went. Like I could choose to leave. I could choose in to just abandon that body where it was and it would die. And then everyone around would have to deal with that. Um, and, or I could choose to come back, go back into it. And he would kind of let me know, like, if I leave, then I'll come into another human experience as, but I'll be a baby. And so I'll have to learn to walk and talk and I have to like train my parents again. And like, I'll be like 20, 20 years behind on whatever it is I'm trying to Did do. Did you say train your parents again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure I heard that right. <laughs> yeah. It was like, you have to train new parents is what <laughs> Like, I was like, man, I've already put a lot of work into these ones, and I like this body. I was like, I'm gonna stay, and so I, um, I chose to to like go back into into my body, and then like focused all my attention on my heart, um, and was able to kind of use my attention to catch the the fast pace of my heart, and like and start to slow it down, and then um, and then it was like my my presence and my body merged again, and then I came out of it. Okay. Uh, what what was your age roughly? You said I was like twenty. Twenty. And what was the? You were at your own house, your own place. Mm-hmm. Um. Did anyone else live there? Uh, there was about twenty people having a party. Uh, oh, at, while this was happening. Yeah. Okay. Nobody. What, but for some reason, nobody noticed like me. Like. And this was going, you were saying in the beginning of your entering into like the drug world, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Um. Do you know what you were on that evening I had that done may it. have catalyzed this? I had done a huge line of uh, cocaine, cocaine and morphine together. Oh wow, that was my favorite back then. Oh wow, <laughs> wow. Oh, so it sounds like you have like, cause I've never done. So I have taken a morphine pill before, but I've never snorted morphine, and I've never done cocaine. I've done coca leaf, but it sounds like you sure. have um, you have a, a wide variety of drug experiences potentially. I've got a yeah. My twenties <laughs> are pretty. F- I'm quite experienced with most of the substances. Okay, cool. Well, that's always fun. That's going to be fun to explore sometimes. Um, we'll see if that gets mixed in here. But this, man, what an experience that you had. And I will here. add to that. The one the one thing that there was like a, the one thing that it didn't also represent the end to my drug experiences, which seemed a little odd to me because I've heard so many people like have a near-death experience and then it scares them so bad that they quit. And I was, like, informed, like, in that dialogue that if I went back in and then got and then let the experience that I just had scare me bad enough to shift trajectory abruptly, then I would come off of my path. And so what I got out of it was, like, okay, cool. Like, I need to – if I choose back into this body, I need to stay with, like, it on the path that it's on. Um, and so my, you know, time – interacting with i call it drug land but you know just like the world of substances and all of that is uh like continued on for a while after that um and then has since shifted significantly but uh what direction has it shifted significantly to from i i, I guess i hear the direction it was going just like yeah, i mean it's shifted directly um in that i'm not currently I don't I don't feel like hooked into any addiction loops at the moment with any of the substances. Um I'm not a regular user like I used to be. Um you know, I still occasionally smoke some pot and I like to have a glass of wine and you know, we're having a beer, but other than that it's like it's pretty mild. 
Um, and even my use of psychedelics is like significantly less than it used to be. Wow. I mean, have you ever had an experience? This sounds like a borderline psychedelic experience and the out-of-body experience Mm -hmm. and very cooperating with very much of the other out-of-body experiences I've studied or looked Mm -hmm. into. It's pretty wild how there's such similarities. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because I didn't have any priming of it either. Like, I didn't... I grew up in a Christian environment, so we got kind of shooed away from any kind of stories about spirituality or or near-death experiences or anything like that. And so I didn't have any prior frames of reference that would have like primed me for that experience either which is part of why I'm able to like not just chalk it up to my imagination or something did you ever speaking of that since you're talking about loops and stuff did you ever rat did you ever think that are you rationalizing to use substances based on this belief of that you're supposed to stay on that path or did that feel like like well, I was. I'm I, I considered it. You like, were. Had you questioned that? Yeah, I, def- I definitely questioned it. Like right away, <laughs> and um, and so it was interesting. But um, later in my life, um, like I really understood what I was made of when I was because I was addicted to morphine, and I ended up sitting there with a bottle full of a hundred pills sitting in my room, and I stared at it for eight days like hardly even eating I just like stared it down and I was like there's no way you're gonna kill me and went through all of the withdrawals with the bottle sitting right there wow wow um and like and just broke that loop um with it in the house and so I've had you know I've tried to I've had trouble even getting people to believe me on that because they have seen how intense that addiction is yeah, I, I, so I, the episode actually I did with Ryan Bowditch is the one that's most like resonant with what this where this one has been so far. And yeah, and the morphine, isn't there, have you ever heard Kratom? 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 Kratom, yep. Does, is that, the morphine hits the opiate receptors, right? Have you ever used Kratom? Okay, so that's an herb that they grind up and kind of like similar story to pot or coffee. It's just like a ground up byproduct of a plant yep and apparently it hits to those receptors that's what i've heard and allegedly it can be very helpful for getting people off of that interesting or other pharmaceuticals that do and i use kratom in the morning oh, cool. and i learned that from ryan oh interesting and like as i use it like as a green tea in a way sure. <clears throat> and that's what they served as i've been i've been actually a green a tea bar in uh, fairfax california where they were serving kratom and oh, apparently wow. it's very popular in Southeast Asia or something. But anywho, uh, Fascinating. I, w- yeah. Yeah, I want to bring that. To, I feel like that's something that there's a lot, a lot of controversy about that may be incentivized because if it's that good, just like if pot is so good at competing with so many other pharmaceuticals, yeah. like if Kratom or Kratom is that good at competing with so many pharmaceuticals, there's going to be a lot of... There's already been quite a bit of controversy. Smears, <laughs> smear yeah, campaigns of sorts. Here in Colorado, that's it's already been a case because it was people were selling it and then it became illegal. Oh, Kratom did. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's, so it's kind of hung up in that like uh, legal limbo land right now. That's in, that's fascinating. I mean, my dad's a pharmacist. Oh, okay. Yeah, my mom's a nurse, and I actually thought at a moment when I was in college of becoming a pharmacist, then that transitioned to becoming a doctor. Got and that it. transition to a year off, and here we are about 11 years <laughs> later. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, man. And, and um, 
Do you remember the date of that by any chance? I'm just curious if you know the date. That I went through that? Yeah. I don't remember off the top of my okay. head. Okay. Yeah. I I had something some somewhat of a similar experience on New Year's once in Nashville where I was like looking in the mirror and I felt so messed up. And I, I was in like, Tennessee. It wasn't Tennessee. Yeah. Where it wasn't <laughs> Chattanooga. Where, Chattanooga. It wasn't on New Year's, was it? Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> no, okay. Not on New Year's. Yeah, I made like a deal, like where I was just like, I'm cutting out all this stuff, like I, it was tobacco, cannabis, alcohol, coffee, caffeine, and masturbation. And I said to like my brother's birthday, and I, I like was making this deal with something in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And man, I if I found first of all, I found out my brother's birthday was exactly 40 days and 40 nights later. Oh wow. Or like so close to it that I was like, what the freak? And uh, that was later. And that's what kind of led me to experimenting the raw veganism, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like I got I got, I got got addicted to purity. Okay. Yeah, for a little bit. That was a while, yeah. Addictions are funny. Nice. Kind of like ego or like uh, energy, how it dis- dissipates. That For me, I feel like if I toss it around, then it kind of loses some of its energy to friction. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Addictions are a really, really interesting thing. Like I've always had a strong position that I've taken internally, where I just I don't make like I don't make deals with anything. <laughs> um, and so it's like it's like this no negotiating because it like the addiction I ex- experience is like this tempting force. It's almost the same energy that like in a really closed mind and minded Christian perspective, you'd be like, it's the devil. Right. And so it's like that energy coming in. Um, and so I'm not ever negotiating with it like, and, and won't. And so it's like, it's been an interesting journey for me to, to do like the pure, like willpower breaking of an addiction, like I did with the morphine and then to have gotten out of other addictions in different ways because I was also addicted to math and to to cocaine and to I've basically gone through the whole rotation of like any of the the strong drugs that could addict a person and, and well, stopped man yeah that's a big deal like uh, those are big the, especially the meth I haven't ever met anyone that took meth casually um, and I, I've had a few other, I'm thinking of my friend, if anyone's really into this topic and you want to explore the whole gamut, the one episode of Ryan Bowditch with Joel Olmstead and you, like the meth experience, you got addicted to meth and you got off. What, mm. how did you get addicted to meth? What was that like? Like, what was your life like? Cause it seems so from an outsider, it seems like just, uh, like my, some friends or friends of friends just got like sucked into some crazy black hole mm-hmm. and some, and like they, sometimes they didn't sleep for a long period of time yeah. and sometimes they, uh, they got unhealthy looking like they were like their health was taking a huge hit and they yeah. like didn't want to be on it, but they just weren't in contact with people. It was like a strange, that's yeah. kind of how my outsider experience, but I haven't been an insider and I don't really, I don't from, I haven't ever heard good news about meth. So I'm not that intrigued. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of it snuck in. Like, I was working in the restaurant industry at the time, and like, you know, you go out for drinks afterwards or whatever, and then it's like it's pretty easy to you know do a little bit of coke or whatever because you're a little drunker than you want to be, so you like coke to even out, and then then that kind of starts to get you know you get carried away, and that gets expensive, and then someone's like, well, I've got some some 
you know, tweak or whatever. And then, and like that actually has a much stronger stimulant effect. And so it takes much less of it and to, to do the wake me up thing, but then you'll be up all night. And so then you need it in the morning. (laughs) And so it, it has this, it's got like an 18 hour, like effective time frame. So there's not really any way and it, and it keeps you like, why are you consuming it? What's that? How are you consuming it? I was snorting it. Snorting it. And then, and then is that how it's traditionally, is that how most people use meth? They start by snorting it usually. And then they'll, and then they'll switch over to smoking it pretty quick. Smoking it. Okay. Uh, Because smoking it doesn't last as long because the 18 hours sucks because you can't ever get a healthy sleep rhythm back. Yeah. That's why I heard that people were like staying awake for absurd amounts of days. Yeah. You'll be up for days and, um, and just really like it hooks you probably harder than any of the other ones. Like for that one, I had to quit my job and like run out of money and then like lay in my house until the withdrawals went away. Like, um, and like be really careful not to like, you know, reach out to somebody that I thought might, you know what I mean? And like, I did not slip back into the social wow. thing, wow. but when I was ready to stop, I just like just got rid of all the distractions and stopped. And I always would take a multivitamin every day, even if I wasn't eating. I would like force myself to lay down and close my eyes for an hour most nights, if uh, even if I wasn't actually going to sleep. But uh, those were the ways that I kept myself from like deteriorating physically. How long did you use meth for? You think? Four years. Oh wow. Man, so you have a lot of experiences. It seems like you have all sorts of experiences. <laughs> what in the heavens happened? Because I saw your Facebook profile. I was looking at some of your favorite videos. Definitely, when I I want to um, I want to talk about the thing that happened. Your family, your family died in a or is or did, did people die or they were injured? I I only got the quick. Yeah, my my father passed, and my mom and brothers Man. were like really badly injured. And how old were you? Almost nine, so it's Almost eight, nine. eight years old. And then, so you weren't in the car, but your other, whole other family was. And then your dad? He was dad in the front seat when I got to the car. Man. And so that, like, that was the first time I remember being, like, fully present and complete. And it was interesting because I, was, I felt completely at peace during, during the experience. Like, I knew everything was going to be okay. I knew all I had to do was just, like, witness my family. Um... I wasn't scared. Everything was like in slow motion. It was like every, it was like people talk about when they go through a traumatic event. Um, okay, so and your mom, who all was in the car? Because I understand what happened to your dad, and then my mother was in the front seat, passenger seat. Um, so she got really badly injured. Like her legs were cut open so bad that I could see the bones in her mm-hmm. legs, and like, yeah. um, and then my younger brothers were, and one other person were in the car. And what were they all lived, okay, um, and with different degrees of injuries. And your mom did too. Yeah. Is your mom alive now? Yep. How's she doing? Where is she? Yeah. She's great. She's uh, she lives in Southwest Michigan, and she, after the after we moved back to the United States, she went went to school and got her degree as a psychologist. She got her PhD in psychology, um, and then went on to get her Doctor of Divinity at a seminary, and. Now she travels around the world, like working with missionaries and teaching them about how to deal with trauma in the mission field and um, and how to transition skillfully between cultures. Uh, missionaries, like Christian missionaries, or mm-hmm. a specific Christian religion? Or? Seventh Day Adventist Church. Oh wow, okay. 
Man, there's so much here. There's so much here. But that, that I just the man, that you the nine year old boy. So you walked to the car and saw your dad in there. Man, that's a that's. Do you remember remember that clearly? I'm imagining. Yeah, vivid. Like, like yeah. Do you remember much before that as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, those images of like. All those images, like, I, my mom and brothers had already been moved out of the car when I got there, so it was just my dad that was left, and then when I got to where they were, they were in this, like, you know, very rural African cafeteria-type clinic thing where the people had just carried them, and so my mom was, like, in a bathtub, and it was, like, you know, full of her own blood at this point, and she's screaming, and um, my little brother's toes were missing and his head was split open and they're getting stitches it was wild so yeah that <laughs> i i imagine that really sparked off i i mean what were you doing in africa first of all it seems like i i that's, don't oh yeah that's where i grew up so yeah. my parents were missionaries there so i was i was six weeks old when they when oh. they moved me back to africa you were six weeks old and so they had you in the united states they came back from Africa to the United States in order for me to be born in an American hospital. Oh, okay. okay. And then as soon as I was old enough... Six it, weeks and went back yeah. to Africa. And, yeah. and where in Africa? In Rwanda. And they were doing uh, the missionary work. Wow. Yep. And your mom still does, but maybe a bit of a different context? A much different context now, yeah. Wow. Wow. And now they were just so just driving... What The driving... And we were on the, our way back from a family vacation. So it was our family and one other family that had gone on vacation together and it was the last day of our drive back and I switched cars like 10 minutes before the car accident we were at a gas station and we almost took off and I stopped the cars I was like let me I want to get in the other car and then they let us switch at the gas station or you were already before you took off right before we took (laughs) off yeah and so and then 10 minutes later the accident happened does anyone know what happened or just um I mean it was just dusk and the you know, the thought is that the other car didn't have his headlights on and there was like, they, it was coming oh, was around like a, a corner. On. It was coming around a corner and they cut the corner and, and so the cars hit head on. Yeah. Wow. And then what happened? Do you know what happened with other people in the other car? Uh, both of them, uh, both of their legs got broken and they got put in the hospital, but they didn't die. What an experience as a nine year old boy in Africa. Holy mackerel, man. Mm. I, I bet that did, what were your, when looking back and now, what are your major like takeaways, or what were your major take? Did you have like, oh, as a nine-year-old boy, this is how I'm gonna survive, or like, what were you like, and what happened? <laughs> what was the takeaway? How did you how do you recover from something like that as a nine-year-old boy? I don't know. I mean, the way that the experience impacted me, I I actually felt like I was okay for a long time. Um, it wasn't until years later that the the impact of the trauma tra- like started to kind of creep up through my subconscious and start to interfere with my like my conscious experience. Um, so m- mostly, as a little boy, like I my I took on like a like the man of the house role very quickly because I was the oldest of my brothers and like. And so my mom, like, ended up relying on me and actually confiding in me quite a bit. And so that's it. And so as a little kid, what I did was I was always 
trying to be like the best man that I could be like to take care of my mom, but also knowing like I'm kind of powerless cause I'm a little boy. Um, and, and then all of the ways that I would see myself fall short of like being able to take care of her in the way that I wanted to, then I would imagine like, I was also creating this, like in my imagination, this image of a man that like I thought was my dad because I was like, if dad was here, he would be doing this. If dad was here, he would be doing this. And so I was always creating this image of like this perfect man that would have been able to take care of my mom in that situation. Um, and then later in life I had to like take my dad's face off of that image and like accept that as like, like who I'm supposed to become, not, not like an imaginary image of my dad because like who that person that I imagined like he's actually quite different than my dad was in retrospect yeah it sounds like you have been learning a lot a lot of uh, been in a lot of deep waters at a very early age basically very much so and and continue so and so much so, let's look, can we pull those questions real quick from uh, the other guests, three of the other best guests of Breaking Your World Podcast had some questions for Paul Cooper. And hey, if anyone ever has questions for guests, reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find it on Instagram direct message or my email, daniel at breakingrumble.com. Just send me a message. But this is what Jordan, this is what Jordan says. We'll start with him. Ask him if he's Lord of the Flies. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Jordan, tell us more. <laughs> yeah, Jordan, you know my number. <laughs> yeah, I'm a lord of I'm wondering what he means. I, it's been so long since I've even read that book. Yeah, let's talk about it. All right, what does the new world order look like? That's what he asked. The new world order. Um, In the world that I imagine and that I use as like my guidepost and vision, the new world order looks like um, like emergent, cooperative, like harmonic resonance around the planet um, with like with. Uh, with life being like central to that. So like, and, and, you know, so it's based on unconditional love and like respect and care for oneself and the other and, and so forth. And so I think I see a world where those qualities are emergent like all over the planet and like a, a global resonance starts to, to form and, um, so the new world order to me, like it's through that resonance and through that like harmonizing of frequencies that that actually creates what we experience as order. It's not the the new world order in the traditional sense of like a few elite that like create a, an oppressive regime and like and rule the planet from like their seat of privilege. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I, I love these cameo questions. Cameo questions on the Breaking Room podcast, brought to you by the Mystic Misfits this time. Jordan asks, what has been his journey, what has been your journey with emergent leadership? 
and um, I think it might be good to know what, is, what does he mean by emergent leadership? Is this a brand? Is this what you're, is it a movement? Yeah, what, can we add a little context to that as well? Um, so the way that I would understand the way he's using the term emergent leadership is um, is leadership that is born out of surrender rather than um, like a forced articulated posture. Um, and so I think a lot of what people consider leadership is like taking charge or it, it requires like um, a forcing and then like a posturing that, that, that gives someone the ability to exert some level of control. Um, and so that is different than what I would call like emergent leadership or the terminology that I use is like surrendered leadership, which is, um, from my perspective, it's kind of assuming a position of trust and humility with life that says, like, I know I'm here for a reason. And I suspect that like whatever it is that I'm here to do is actually beyond my present moment's ability to comprehend fully and understand. So any effort from this place to try and become someone that's going to lead me to that is actually mostly futile. And so it comes from this like faith-based dialogue with life day to day of like surrendering into like the circumstances and situations that life presents to me and then responding to that as fully as I can and um, with as much like humility and but and potency that I can but and then through that process I get to experience myself in all of these different ways that end up creating me into who I'm supposed to become yes Yes, that, I mean that is Jordan. I know how you love the phrase "on brand," which I think he just got fired from his old brand or something. <laughs> I just watched a video. Congratulations, my friend! I break from Bulletproof, <laughs> and then um, that was so on brand for my life right now. I mean, yeah, I, I, I trust this will be the right when we release these podcasts. It'll be the right order. But yeah, I've definitely surrendered in so many ways, and that's actually what I've been doing at my retreats. Like so many times, like that's mostly like an insider question in a way. It's like, so what? It's like confusing what I'm doing, and I'm really not doing much. But somehow, and that that's the challenging part. That that in a way that's like, and I so I can totally, um, I I did put us like most of the retreats are a celebration for me. There's like so much work going into them, so much like intention, so much creativity. So when I get to the event, it's like, ah, oh, the prize is here. And it, yeah, there's not much I can I can relate to surrendered leadership. <laughs> and sometimes surrendered leadership says like, oh, I got to show up right now, like bigger than I ever anticipated all of a sudden out of nowhere. Totally. Sometimes surrender means like doing some shit you don't want to do or whatever, <laughs> right? But it's um, for me, like when about seven years ago when I decided I was never going to do anything for money that I wouldn't do for free in the first place again um that really started like me anchoring in that that journey of surrendered leadership and that was right before i met you um but my explicit goal was to do nothing like and just let everything happen right because <laughs> um and turns out it's pretty next to impossible to do nothing like 
about a body, like I'll end up going to the bathroom or like <laughs> whatever. So like, but beyond that, like it was, it was a posture that I was choosing that would leave me available for life's invitation so that I could respond to them instead of like being occupied with like my own plans or my own agenda. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's, have you ever heard of the surrender experiment, the book? Mm-hmm. It, uh, he has that other book as well, the untethered soul, but yeah. great books. I just read both of those actually in the last three months. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you like, how many books are you reading in the last three months? I mean, those are the only couple books that I've read in a while. <laughs> what? Uh, I read so those, I read those two books and breaking normal schedule is the frequency of synchronicity as usual. Yeah. That's funny that I asked that. What? No, that one. And, uh, what was it? Uh, autobiography of a yogi oh nice yeah um, and then i read this other book called surfaces and Eff- and essences which is like a like a integral theory like metacognition like <laughs> kind of co- like graduate level book okay um it's it's probably three or four times as long as the other ones but oh wow um, the re- re- uh three or four times longer than the <laughs> autobiography <laughs> Uh, if I a little more than it's a little bit more than twice as long as that. Wow, yeah. wow. So that is a long book too. <laughs> wow. So okay, well that's pretty impressive. But that's that's also quite synchronous that those two books. Yeah. So this reminds me of the surrender experiment in many ways. With and that like that surrender experiment. Well, that's a cool book title because so many people probably can relate to that in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Just like the breaking normal. So many people can relate to breaking normal moments. I can re- relate to the surrender experiments in, yeah. my, in my life, and I'm on one. Yeah. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, yeah, in a lot of ways, I would never, really, I never thought I would have like my own room in a house in Boulder, Colorado, for like long term in the right. middle of winter. I've been on an endless summer for about ten months. Oh wow! Yeah, well, I mean got, not ten months. My bad, like ten years, ten years. Oh wow! Ten years. Like, you got a, you got a definite dose of winter the last couple of days. Oh, so serious. <laughs> so I mean, I love it. I love it. And uh, at one point, on this in this neighborhood where I'm, we're living, right next to the lake here. I, I mean, I've seen many animals. I've seen, like, a nice buck. But uh, I, I was walking out with Araya the other day in the morning, like, 10 a.m. in the snow, and a nice big bobcat. Oh, nice. Dan- like, right in front of us. Amazing. At first, I was like, who's the animals? And, like, what the freak? It's a bobcat. And it's just it's just out here. Wow. I've never seen a bobcat like that, that close. And, wa- yeah, and sh- anyways, I don't know if you, that means anything to you, but that happened to me here. That's awesome. No, our neighbors was telling were telling us not long ago about a mountain lion that they caught on their night camera. Like, so that means they're like roaming around at night right by our house. It's wild. Yeah, and you've been to Encinitas, right? Yep. Yeah. So like, that to me that so when I was in Encinitas, I surfed. So that to me, I was like always one minute away from the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And in Boulder, that I definitely see this like sister city trade route. I would love yeah. to know your exploration of these different cities, like Encinitas and Boulder included, and what mm-hmm. it means for us in our personal lives as well. But uh, Boulder has that same effect. It's like, man, I can just like walk five minutes up there, and there's a, like bobcats going, and whatever yeah. else is up here. <laughs> uh, both both places have like a. Have a cool, interesting, like vortex equality to them, and so and the, so the the cultures seem to be compatible in a cool way. And when I was like in my first bit of the surrender experiment, like I started it before I'd ever heard of the book, and before I'd ever, 
I called it a trust fall into life. What is what I was going to do. I was like, I'm just going to fucking like, I'm going to stop holding on, stop trying to like make anything happen. And just like, I'm going to just trust fall and look out and see what happens. Um, and that took me pretty quickly to Encinitas. Um, <laughs> me too. Which me is where too. I got to hang out for a while and then, and then Boulder. Um, that's pretty interesting that trust fall experience like because that is and I they, I do if for all the people that are following these episodes I did a pod, podcast with Raj Lahoti are you familiar with Raj mm-hmm. man we he was part of my trust fall experience that was oh, really nice. like mind bending and heart opening oh cool and I I explored the whole story with them on the podcast but that's funny that how you describe instantaneous and then you then you came to Boulder yeah what do you what do you like better about Boulder and what do you miss about Encinitas? Just one thing each. I, I couldn't really say. Like I, what do I like better about Boulder? What I miss about Encinitas is the water. Like I miss, I miss like being close to water in Colorado. Like there's not, like it falls out of the sky in the form of snow, but there's not really any big bodies of water here that like feel like an ocean you know or are an ocean so that i miss um but what i what i like about colorado is what i like about boulder i like the community here i like how open-minded it is there's a lot of room for kind of spiritual emotional psychological exploration which i think um encinitas has some of that but i think at least with the circles that i ran with in encinitas there was a lot of it's been infiltrated by a lot of like personal development and like, like, you know, there's SRM, self-realization, something. There's like, anyway, there's like all these different kind of like modalities of spirituality there that I feel like interfere with the space a little bit, like a little bit more than it, than in Boulder. Um, so those are like kind of like my two cents, but I miss the water and I miss the warm weather and I miss like, um, there's like, uh, I feel, feel like people are a little bit more out in the open with their affluence in Encinitas as well. And so there's like, (laughs) well, and that, and actually Encinitas is not that bad about that. Not only do I agree with it, but Encinitas is pretty mellow about that compared to like La Jolla or Beverly Hills or sure. Yeah. Well, to have that and the combination of of open mindedness and whatever, because you go to Beverly Hills and you're still like in mainstream culture quite a bit, and they're like out with their wealth and stuff, and that's like okay, cool. Like we see where you're putting most of your attention and value. But um, the Mystic Misfits, funny enough, we both live. We all lived at Neptune Avenue together. Oh, like nice. they lived the next door to where Davina was born. Oh, okay. So on that note, are you able to open that? Because I know Kevin had a question that I was curious about. Yeah, that's a fun comparison. I've seen some like threads online of people comparison comparing Boulder to Encinitas. Even my, my friend, you probably know Dave Buddha. He was talking about like the uh, an Olympics of like some kind of sp- ultra spiritual Olympics between oh, Encinitas yeah. versus. I, I saw I was that. Like this is this is genius. It's actually such a fun idea. I saw the thread in the Boulder Tribe group. <laughs> yeah, that's that hilarious. Awesome. Dave Buddha is awesome. Too. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, the last final question from Kevin and from the Mystic Misfits. Ask him what sense-making is sense-making and how to do it in the most breaking normal way. 
Boom. There you go. Thanks for that. Got it. Sense making. So sense making to put it as simply as possible and then I'll elaborate is just um, like making sense of your environment or like the world you're experiencing. And so the degree to which you can do that well has a lot to do with how effective you can be. Um, and so sense-making has to do with like receiving inputs from your environment. We've got our senses. Like this, um, like this ring, man. Yeah. First time I ever used this ring, like, when I close my eyes, I see the ring like all over <laughs> It's all, the all over. So I'm like, what the? I guess it shows like my head movements. It's like showing me some sort of algorithm on how, how my head moves. <laughs> exactly. That's one example. But, um, and then, and I think this is where, you know, you and I will resonate. It's like being able to take that in and integrate that into a meta narrative or a meaningful story that that is relevant to the experience you're actually having and then from there being able to respond, right? And so taking in the data, if you get triggered, like you could say that it's like you got like getting knocked off balance in a boxing match or something, right? And so you, you can't like hit back very well if you're off balance, right? And so that's where like the sense-making to me, the most the the crucial point is like, okay, cool. I want to keep my senses clear. I want to be able to understand my ability to observe my environment. But then I want to be emotionally. I want to have my traumas dealt with. I want to be like um, clear and present because I want to be able to take in all the information without it destabilizing my my current model of reality, so that or I can just actually like distorting. It. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting. Anyways, go ahead. If there's more, I'm, I just like that perspective right there. Um, because then that preserves my ability to be able to respond real time in the moment without having to like pull myself away from the situation and process or whatever and, and come to balance and then go back. And so that to me is like, like the name of the game is like staying clear, staying present emotionally and always being able to be able to sense make effectively and on an individual level, that's super powerful. But if you can get a group of people that are doing that together, then you start to enter into like, um, you know, collective intelligence and higher cognition um, that's available like through the group field energetic. And that's also something that I feel like me and you might share. And somehow in our, like we climb, climbing, I always have this picture of people climbing the same mountain, but from different paths. Yeah. And then being like, oh, like sharing notes. Yeah. And I feel like we've been climbing the same mountain if I was going to be judgmental in ways. And I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. What you just talked about, because I feel like I've seen and experienced group flow states. They're just like, I feel like I'm in a Shakespeare play or something. And it just doesn't make sense. And I don't know how to talk about it exactly. I don't even know how to get other people to remember it. Because I got I it's it's been challenging sometimes for me to remember my voice just changed there with the microphone shift, um, but sometimes I know I know there's something going on there that's extremely impactful, extremely healing, and and borderline ineffable. I I agree 100 percent. Like we've in the events that we've started doing, I've seen the whole like 
you know, there's just these times when like one thing happens and another thing happens and then like, it's like the room pops and then it's like everyone is animated by the energy that's coming through. Right. And like, it's no longer anybody trying to be anything specific or trying to say anything specific, but all, but, but something more beautiful and intricate than anybody could ever choreograph happens. And it's the same thing though. Like 15 minutes later after people are coming out of it, you're like, yo, what just happened? They're like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I like to call it a group flow state. Um, blacking out. I'm like, they were there. Everyone just blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know. It was fun, though. It's really fun. Yeah, we we call it a vortex. You know, vortex. Yeah, that's vortex. another term. Yeah, that's, a great, that's a great one. Vortex, creating a vortex. That's a great way to describe it. Um, and one way that we found is really effective is just to like get a bunch of people into one spot and don't tell anyone what to do and don't give them any instructions about what they should be doing. Don't give them any hints even about what they're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I like that too. And that's a really good way to get like the first layer of, or, or even and some of the deeper layers of people's like social conditioning and stuff off of the, like just out. <laughs> I mean, I'm having a memory. We once, we once did a, a, so this is like arguably our most unsuccessful and successful retreat we've ever done. We rented uh -huh. an island off Panama and literally other than the people that were hosting it were about three or four people and then three or three people showed up. But we, it was just like, and we committed to doing it. And because we had so much freedom, we were like on this, like, it was not like luxurious conditions. It was like a surfing experience. Yeah. But they had housing and they had this island cool. off Panama. And it was so beautiful and ridiculous and epic, but rough as, rough as ever. <laughs> and we had sure. a long car ride there. We picked everyone up and we didn't talk. No one talked until we just sat in the whole car ride and didn't talk. And that was our intro for like, hours in this foreign country driving through a car and yeah it's interesting how the normal way of getting to know people can be so distracting like a little tweak and you see i i get to see someone and they're like fuller light or they're fuller color mm -hmm. yeah and i mean people have like personas that they put on in all of these different contexts and so they're like trying to infer the context <laughs> and then like we're the right persona and stuff and so we've we've just learned to be really good at not not giving them those crutches like preemptively and just such powerful stuff happens. And so it's back to the surrender. It's like, how can we all be in surrender at the same time together? Well, so our, you know, my, uh, just addressing that real quickly, just so I know what you're, if you have a, or if you're calling what you're doing and anything like mine has been like exploring the art of tribe design. <laughs> it's like breaking normal culture and tribe designing it back together again. Nice. Uh, what about yourself? How, is there like a, if people want to learn more, cause we're coming up on a 55 minutes right now. Look oh, at wow. Yeah. I mean the, um, we're calling it light leadership. Um, and that's the, the modality and the, that's what the trainings are called. And, um, you know, it's, I, I really like the way that you phrase that because it's, um, it's essentially a, a collective attempt to birth a new culture, like to take, to deconstruct like the old way of being like the old culture, um, leave behind what doesn't work anymore. And like, birth a new one that doesn't um, have the constraints that we see plaguing like the current culture and keeping people trapped, keeping people stuck, keeping people disconnected from their creativity. We're trying to like build in all of the stuff that's necessary to actually support 
the evolution of people's creative impulse and their access to their own like divine spark and like and their ability to be free and authentic and all of that stuff but to be able to do it together and have shared re- shared frames of reference that are strong enough to allow people to to continue to operate in that free way beyond just the events Yep, yep. It's fun. It's fun to meet allies. It's like, it really reminds me so much of being on a big hike. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with like on a big hike. You're like, wow, you're out here too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, how far is it to that place? How far is it? To Just that like place? a day and a half. <laughs> it's like, man, that is a, it's a special thing. Yeah, it really is. And it reminds me um, of what. I, yeah, I believe my in a lot of ways the, the events are about, and I bet you could resonate with this. Like the a sorrow shared as a sorrow half, the joy shared is a joy doubled. Nice. Let's be real. I like that. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's one of the things that we talk about. Is like it's really important to to like with a new group of people that you're trying to create something with, and you want to like create continuity through time with those relationships. It's important that you share your story and get all of the, like, the moments where you're holding pain or you're like, you know, traumatized or whatever to get it into the shared space so that it, like, that energy can be distributed and then everybody can like just feel through it together. And not only is the person that shared it freed of it, but the but the ability for each of those other people to empathize with people that have been through something similar just got stronger, right? And then when people are so that's one side like you said expressing with the pain the pain and the sorrow but then also when people are feel free to be expressed in their accomplishments and what they're they're joyful about if the foundation's laid properly and everyone else doesn't just get jealous or (laughs) judgy when people are like like effusive about like accomplishments and like things that they've done well then they can actually like receive joy or receive like the transmission of like that success and actually get lifted from hearing the other person share about their wins and like what they've succeeded at i like the way you put that this girl is like knocked out yeah, she's right. Woo! check out the video i'm not sure when it'll be up always check for updates if you want whenever you want and we'll tell you where we're at if we can, breakingnormal.com slash podcast, but these episodes go up and we have videos attached to them on the website. And Paul, you're a good looking guy. I want people to see, I want people to see what's going on here. Right. I mean, you know, if, if any ladies out there want to spend time with two look good looking guys, there's a good video. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was one of those moments. Like I kind of set myself up for like someone up for an alley oop, and it, I felt like I I, I was out of laziness. I didn't even have anything. <laughs> I was just like, there, that's it. I, I do want it real quickly before we go our own ways and continue designing tribes and doing our thing and surrendering and trust balling. The anti fragile element. Um, this is something I talked about with uh, Rafe Kelly, who's like the great great guy. Check that episode out, but. We he talked about it more on a physical like the physical human being like how to become mm-hmm. human more anti fragile as a human being. Yep. Um, I saw a video briefly about you alluding to the idea of like uh, from when I the way I interpreted it, it was like a tribe or a community becoming anti fragile. Mm-hmm. And I just I would like to I would like a teaser about that for our next communication. So to me, the way that I see it, um, when two people come into relationship with each other. The relationship itself is like another, almost like another being. And 
fucking way to put it. The longer that, it, like, if the longer you want that to last, the more you want to invest in it to make it like strong and resilient. And so, to me, anti fragility in that context is like making choices that actually strengthen the relationship versus choices that like protect the relationship. Because if I'm always creating boundaries and trying to protect the relationship, I'm operating operating from the assumption that it's fragile. And then I'm going to keep it fragile because I'm surrounding it by boundaries and walls. And when they, when those break, the relationship is generally fucked. Um, but if I can be of the orientation of, I want this relationship to be stronger. I want it to be resilient. I want it to be healthy. And then I'm willing to like open in the times that I would otherwise close. I'm willing to like protect the other person's freedom. I'm willing to like defend their ability to be authentic because I want them to be able to say and do and be themselves fully in relationship with me without it shutting me down and closing me down. I also want our relationship to be able to like withstand challenges from other people without it like making me suspicious of the person I'm in relationship with like automatically or whatever. And so, um, that's just one of the things that I think is really important. It's like, anti-fragile bonds that can withstand the unexpected things and ha that happen in life are really what keep tribes together and, and relationships intact. Yeah, I think it's such a huge concept and I love that was, man, that was more than that was that was so great for me to marinate on the kind of scratching the surface of the concept for a tribal level rather than only the individual level and I do think it's important for all the individuals to learn about their own anti-fragility within themselves, but there's also... Totally, that's like ice, said, ba ice baths and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that is one of many. Oh, oh yeah, on that note, though, you said... That it was so funny. The reason I like you like... Or you you missed Encinitas? The re uh -huh. That's the, the reason I may like boulders because how much water there is. But we have like the, a different concept of water because like, like there there's fresh, here. cold water that I can get in. Whereas oh, I usually yeah. say about Encinitas, I'm like, man, there's no water though. Like I love the ocean, like but there's Got the it. fresh water. There is that Moonlight Creek, which I think is when it was clean, was probably where like the, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, they uh, it was probably where the natives were at, man. Yeah, just right there in the clean fresh water hitting the ocean. But that's like, it's so dry down there. But it's like not to at all be like, oh, that one way is right or one way is wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. just so fascinating. Our answers are the same about but about different places. That is fascinating. I mean, to that end, like, if you're into ice baths and stuff, like, the Boulder Creek is awesome. Like, you don't have to, like, always be lugging ice bags of ice and filling a tub in your yep. backyard or anything like you do in California. So <laughs> When I lived in Encinitas, I had a freezer there on the deck for the summer especially. Because in, okay. in the winter, the ocean's cold enough. But, like, uh, sure. in the summertime, it's pretty it can get pretty toasty. Summertime in San Diego, I think, is the least desirable time to be there, and that's when the most people are there. Also interesting. So you would, uh, so you just you had like an old like freezer. No, or I just bought one at Best Buy. You just got a yeah, freezer. Yeah, you can get one for like another three hundred bucks, and then filled it with water. Yeah, and then keep it like plugged in and up as strategically, and not unplugged strategically, and yeah, yeah. You got an ongoing ice bath. Do you ever accidentally like go long enough that it froze completely? Yep. <laughs> not 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 all the way, but I've been like, oh, that was like three hours too long. Now I gotta like get this ice out of here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, man, nice. uh, yeah, that ch -ch, that's what it's like scooping the snow around here. And I'm excited to play in the snow with you. I'm excited that we're in the same neighborhood again, and yeah, that maybe it's fun to pay attention to 
patterns. It seems like there's a pattern yeah. for us to connect, and I trust this connection will continue. Yeah, me too. And I love, I love. It's just obvious your in-depth experience, your in-depthness of being a community tribe designer, from my perspective. And I'm like, man, I'm excited to learn more and team up more. So thanks, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's it's been really fun. What's the best way if someone's inspired to learn more about what you're up to currently? What's the best way for people to find that? Um, either lightleadership.com or transformationagency.com. Okay. Um, nice. would be the two ways. Nice. There you go. It's a two lane highway. Yeah, yeah. Try try both sides, and uh, keep breaking normally, y'all. Thanks, Paul. See you here. We'll keep being bolder and bolder, and see you somewhere soon. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. 